And we are live, guys. Welcome to Staking Mondays. My name is Mirko, and I'm the co-founder of Staking Rewards. And I'm delighted uh, to have uh, today's guest, Greg Ozuri, founder and CEO of Acash Network. Welcome to the show. Hi, Mirko. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, glad, glad to have you on. Um, so Acash Network is the uh, world's first decentralized and open source cloud. And uh, today we'll talk a little bit about um, how Acash is positioned to take on the cloud computing market. We we'll talk about how stakers and node providers can participate and benefit from Acash. Um, we we'll talk about why Acash has one of the highest staking rates in the industry. Um, and we we'll talk a little bit about decentralized cloud computing versus cloud storage and um, also about the roadmap for Acash and uh, many, many more things. And not only that, today is also a very, very special episode for Staking Mondays. Uh, we're doing one of the biggest giveaways in the history of the show with a total pot of $5,000 worth of uh, AKT. So we'll have uh, five winners um, who each get $1,000 worth of AKT. Um, so uh, stay tuned, stay with us, guys. Um, everything you have to do is follow Staking Awards and Acash Network on Twitter. Um, subscribe to our YouTube channel, Second Words and Acash on YouTube, and then uh, drop in some, some great high-quality questions in the chat here. Um, I've already seen there are like, quite a lot of great questions. Keep them coming, guys. Um, much appreciated, and uh, we'll address them in the end of the show. And uh, before we jump into it, let's do a quick shout-out to our sponsors, Lido. Lido is the market-leading liquid staking solution, and with Lido, you can stake Ethereum, Solana, and Terra. Uh, while keeping full liquidity via staking derivatives. So these staking derivatives you can use in multiple DeFi applications to generate additional yield. And if you want to keep flexibility with your stake tokens, head over to Lido.fi. Um, that's Lido Finance, super exciting project. And um, that having said, uh, thanks a lot to Lido. Um, and today we have Greg from Acash. Um, let's start with a lightning round of questions here. Um, just a, a very uh, short answer from you for, for each of these questions, Greg. I'm uh, very, very uh, keen to have your answers. Um, what was your first crypto investment outside of Bitcoin and Ethereum? <laughs> oh, my investment, huh? Bitcoin, yeah. Ethereum. Or maybe like what like the, the first project that kind of really spiked your interest outside of Bitcoin and Ethereum? I think it would be Atom, if I remember correctly. Uh 2016, 2017, can't remember 2017. I think it's when Atom um released the the the, the hub. I think Atom. Yeah. All right, cool, cool. I can't remember anything else that I bought from a token perspective because uh, Ethereum, you know, Bitcoin was obvious. Uh, Ethereum was obvious because we needed gas money for uh, deploying the first version of uh, Akash. Um, and I also um, bought some Ethereum for my niece back then, 2017. Um, Immediately and after that was just Atom because I really wanted to play around with the staking and the cool stuff it, it gives. Yeah. Sense. And um, so what was like, which, which person inspired you the most during your crypto journey? Oh boy, who inspired me the most, huh? 
um i don't think it's it's one person per se uh i can point to most um let's see hmm i was a big fan of hall family you know um and uh i was a big fan of Nick subway as well uh vitalik certainly has quite a bit of impression uh jack Kwan, if you remember uh was very very impressive uh the founder of cosmos um i looked up to him i would say stefan thomas the the former cto of ripple he's a good friend of mine um he was uh he, he took me um in and he helped me quite a bit understand the space anatoly yeah, kind of, uh, yeah from uh from solana anatoly and i met uh, 2018 he was just brilliant i introduced anatoly uh on stage for the first time in 2008 and uh you know his his design on solana and i think a lot of his work further solidified my my faith in proof of stake i wouldn't call one person just a lot of people you know that's what makes crypto special yeah definitely and you named some uh, very inspiring personalities there um so um speaking about like akash what's the most inspiring decentralized cloud project outside of akash for you cloud uh, i would say uh saya skynet um rv i like uh Sayo per se because they've been around for for a long time and the phenomenal user experience focus is, is very very amazing and if you look at cloud uh, akash is one of many players right akash is not the player unlike what we see with amazon and that's the beauty of the decentralized cloud ecosystem because uh we all understand that a single player um, cannot solve all the problems um and shouldn't solve all the problems but rather focus on what they're really good at so someone should focus what they're really good at like saya focusing on storage um are we focusing on long-term storage saya focusing on more real-time storage um and um you know akash focusing on compute handshake i really like handshake a lot uh i think it has so much power to change the way we we discover new services i mean it's so decentralized so you know it's it's kind of like leaderless and it's hard to see uh the impact it'll have without that in, in today's world where leaders are kind of having this cult like following right but i i love handshake um i think um there are a lot of really cool projects uh that are upcoming in the decentralized cloud ecosystem um that are going to win because of the interoperability they're going to figure out. I think Cosmos in general uh, laid down the foundation for interoperability. I'm seeing incredible projects, uh, mainly from Web2 folks coming into Web3 and bringing some of those like high-performance application ideas into Web3. And they're all building on Cosmos. So I'm, I'm incredibly uh, excited on the cloud on Cosmos, per se. Awesome. Yeah, well said. Um, there are a lot of great projects, too. And so how, how do you stay up to date with crypto news in the markets? Do you have a favorite news show, podcast, or whatever? Yeah, I have a website called twitter.com. It's, it's phenomenal. Awesome. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Um, when did you check your crypto portfolio the last time? This morning, like everyone else, I suppose. 
probably yeah shouldn't have <laughs> checked this morning but in times of turmoil i feel like you <laughs> tend to check more than normal i'm a human too yeah better make sure you're not uh, over leveraged in markets like these um <laughs> I, i don't touch leverage <laughs> i don't i don't i don't actually i'm not very active i buy something and i just sit on it i don't uh you know i stake and restake and of course i do things that are participatory i try to automate from most of it uh most of my staking but for me if i buy something i don't touch it for at least five years there's no point i think crypto uh, in general is so young and i tend to only touch products that i use right like dvpn um that's another incredible uh, cloud project I, i would point out because they have a functioning product and and i use it very much um like dvpn akash i use akash every day like you know deploy my blogs deploy a lot of cool stuff i build i just buy stuff and and keep it uh, i think these things need at least 5 to 6 years by the time they can see real real adoption uh, real growth and these are very young products um, yeah in the market yeah fully fully great also it's more time for you to focus on building akash i guess um and so like which destination are you planning to travel to next uh dubai i think i have dubai in the books um could be eat denver as well uh, that's in the books uh dubai for sure uh, i'm actually starting to like dubai quite a bit for crypto awesome and now that we're just uh 10 days into the new year 2022 what's your new year's resolution i don't do resolutions you know um i uh i believe i'm a very big believer in continuous improvement uh small improvements every day um but one of the few things that i wanted to get better is being more available to people i think uh traditionally have been a lot more um distant in in the sense that there's just so much work to do and so many people to respond to so i rather be quick and and easy uh to get to uh working on that and um i want to actually go back to coding more and i see my friends anatoly from from solana or uh you know or uh sunny from osmosis i really love that they still code and i i don't code as much as i used to um you know in the beginning i beginning of cash I mean, actually 5 years ago i wrote the entire system myself about 60000 lines of code in about 6 months i think um and i really miss doing that so i want to be able to go back to coding and i tend to get a lot more ideas uh, when i actually uh, code and you know they don't let me write production code but at least i can do prototypes and what not so more coding uh, and more responsive awesome yeah i hope you find some time for that i mean you must be super busy probably you have a, a large team at akash now as well and probably you, your um main objective is also to especially em- empower others to to code um rather than do it yourself i guess um but that's the battle I, right how do you yeah. like coding is very personal i enjoy doing it's it's one of those privileges i would call right not everybody gets to code um like i love the fact that anatoly some you know he 
you see him in the airport, he's coding. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, I guess just try to like use those opportunities where, you know, like for some reason I, I got trained to using a workstation rather than a laptop, right? Going back to a laptop, so it's more like permissive no matter where I am to code. Getting used to using a small screen instead of a big screen so I can code anywhere. Um, I think there are a lot of small changes you can do in life that lets you use your time more optimally. Like sitting in an airport, I can code. You know, to sitting on an airplane, I should be able to code if I optimize my life to to use a laptop. But I've been like so much used to using Vim. Uh, Vim is this editor, so I end up like opening eight nine panes on this large screen. So bad habits. So I rather now I'm trying to use like a editor like. Visual Studio or something where you have like one screen and you can actually navigate through multiple pages. Anyway, technicalities on like workstation <laughs> versus uh, workstation versus laptops. Uh, more laptops this year. Yeah, no, that's that's interesting. Uh, gotta gotta find your way there, and I hope you will find more time to code. Really, um, it is like very fun, um, I believe. So. Um, yeah. Anyway, let's let's jump into um, like some more long form questions here. And uh, like right now, it's very excited. We have 130 people uh, watching live. That's amazing. Um, keep the questions coming. We have a giveaway going with like five thousand dollar worth of AKT, um, where we have uh, five winners at the end of the show. So um, make sure to follow Stackingwalls and Akash on Twitter and YouTube, and uh, keep them coming. The high quality questions in the chat here. Um, great guys um so let's let's jump right into it and um maybe go back a little bit like wh why did you start building Akash and um what problem are you solving with Akash and uh kind of let, let me play like the devil's advocate and um like isn't the world doing fine uh running stuff on AWS and Google Cloud good question so really the genesis go back goes back to I would say like 2013, when the idea for Akash came about. A <clears throat> uh, little background, I've been building cloud since 2008. Uh, I designed Kaiser Permanente's first cloud infrastructure before cloud was a thing. I uh, introduced AWS uh, into Kaiser in 2008 when nobody heard of AWS. Uh, I love the AWS API-only model that they introduced. AWS, when they came about, they had a very amazing developer developer first sort of like ethos api only command line only and, and all the good stuff that's that's what attracted me um you gotta remember web 2 when they began they had really good intentions right this is the birth of web 2 open um apis all talking to each other open web and all the good good stuff but somewhere down the line the suits came in and it got greedy and they changed their ethos and it became this behemoth of uh, of you know greed surrounded by competitive modes and and they lost the touch they had with developers and we started seeing that quite a bit in 2011 2012 uh in 2013 it got to a point where as a developer uh you know i i founded angel hack angel hack is the largest hackathon accelerator in the world we had 150,000 developers in the ecosystem in about 50 cities. I helped launch companies like Firebase. Firebase uh, became Google Cloud's database. So I've been with developers and interacting with developers for a long time. 
And a choice people had to make uh, in 2013 was, well, if you want to build something uh, fast, you can use something like Heroku and deploy your application. Really good user experience. But the moment you want to scale that, you have to use Amazon, and that's a big deal. Because switching from Heroku to Amazon means, well, you got, especially if you want to do it in a reliable, automated way where your infrastructure is codified, it's impossible. So I started working on this project called Terraform. Uh, Terraform uh, is created by HashiCorp. I was the early contributor to Terraform. Vault, Kubernetes came around uh, 2014, uh, Docker around the same time. So I was in this quest of like developing a system that's easy to use as well as easy to scale. So the choice was like, well, if it's easy to use, hard to scale, hard to use, easy to scale. I mean, so easy to, you know, hard to scale, easy to use, right? So, um, so there's really no platform that was easy to use and hard to, uh, easy to scale. And, and that, and also the pricing, the pricing increasingly got very, very inefficient, right? Over time. And we're seeing that quite a bit right now. Cloud is the biggest cost, uh, component, but, and the reason for that was the pricing was so different and so sneaky of what Amazon does. They add up all these small, small things in a very opaque way. And by the time you see your bill, it's humongous. You don't even know what you spend your money on, right? Um, so there was this opacity in pricing. Uh, there is no way to predict your costs. It's very, very hard to use and scale. And so once you had that on one hand, the other hand, you have this enormous compute. So I, you know, we, we, we I developed high scale systems. Uh, one of the systems that, that I, help design was a system in demand base where we had about a thousand, I mean, sorry, a billion uh, transactions per, per day. Um, and these systems generally, you know, tend to, you can't really use cloud for super high performance systems because, uh, because in order to achieve performance, you either need to, you, you need to reduce latency. That means the, the amount of time it takes from the request, from the, from, from the device that requests the workload to the, server that responds to the workload. And really high performance applications, the latency is, is 10 mill, 100 milliseconds. 100 milliseconds, we call the cognitive uh, cognitive uh, limit, right? So it takes about 100 milliseconds. If it's over 100 milliseconds, your brain can actually process that as lag, right? So if, if any interaction takes less than 100 milliseconds, it seems more smoothly. So if you want to build really high performance applications, you have to respond with 100 milliseconds, both network as well as application latency. So in order to do that, you need to go close to the to the user in terms of network proximity, right? So say, for example, if your user is in San Francisco, you should have a server in San Francisco that responds within 10 milliseconds. So 90 milliseconds you have here for your application. Similarly, if you have users in New York, you should respond, have a server in New York, they'll respond. Now the challenge is like, how do you make sure the New York server and the San Francisco server have the same data set and have a consistency when it comes to data, right? So all these like architectures, when you start like really getting into like, how do you deploy a high scale applications? You can't really do that in the traditional cloud. So you end up using a lot of data centers, right? So that's why Dropboxes and all these use their own data centers because they want, or, 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 or Google's or, or, or Facebook's. So, so cloud is sort of like this like transitionary thing that'll get you to somewhere. Once you get somewhere, you start like scaling. And our idea was like, why, why don't we choose scalability uh, first, uh, performance first, instead of like having this transitionary thing. So that's when the idea for, for, for edge computing came about and we were, you know, 
not actually doing crypto at that time, this is in 20, 2014, um, we developed a technology that would enable any data center around the world to, um, to effectively become their own cloud provider. And the challenge was, was to keep the data in sync or consistent. That's when we started researching uh, and we developed something like a system that looks something like a, uh, like a uh, you know, BitTorrent style uh, replication with a Merkle tree style integ integrity checks. So you, know, you put Bitcoin, sorry, uh, BitTorrent and Merkle tree end up with a blockchain. So like, uh, so it was very, in blockchain came in 2000, I would say 17, 2016 timeframe. Uh, really liked the idea. Uh, you know, we were trying out a few things. We tried Ethereum first uh, to not build our own blockchain, you know, because it's, it's a pain in the ass. Uh, so we tried to use something like Ethereum and Ethereum crashed. Um, and, uh, you know, when CryptoKitties came about, uh, 40,000 40, users, and, and, and then we discovered Cosmos, uh, you know, the paper uh, behind Cosmos. It was very fascinating. Cosmos was very... Uh, was a Go, you know, language uh, uh, package that we can actually implement in our own sort of like. Um, um, is it stop now? That we can actually implement and build our own blockchain. So that was very fascinating for us. So it, long story short, yes, the the it began in 2013. Uh, we formalized the company in 2015. We launched and researched Akash in 2017. That's awesome. Yeah, and it seems like so the. The primary reasons are like in transparent pricing, for example, and like the lack of scalability of cloud infrastructure, right? So, I mean, on top of that, I mean, actually, little, to expand a little more on that, like, so the cloud today, uh, you know, the web 1.0 made servers a thing, the data centers a thing, right? Uh, in order to serve an application, you need to have your own data center or lease one. Web 2.0 created, created the cloud infrastructure where, you know, because it's hard to lease a data center, there are these companies called cloud infrastructure companies that give you the ability to do so in a simple way. And in doing so, they, they transform into rent seekers. Essentially, people you know, that you know, abstract the value in a way that's extractive more than, uh, more than you know, the, the other way around, right? So, and, uh, and increasingly, they started creating this close competitive mode. So, Databases, for example, uh, once they move to the cloud, you know, once they have your user, they know that you're used to this like comfort, and then they will offer you products that are anti to open source, right? So, and lot more often than not, a lot of times they actually take open source products and white label them and sell them as their own. Like Amazon, uh, you know, has about 300 services. Most of the services are not built by Amazon; they're just open source software offered to you at a premium uh, for, for manageability. And some of them, they're actually against the companies that, that built them. Elastic Cash, for example. Elastic Cash is a caching uh, uh, software that Amazon offers built by Elastic, the company. And Elastic's business model was to offer a hosting solution, but Amazon like, took their business model. Elastic was pissed off, and they sued them in court. And New York Times wrote this amazing op-ed in 2019, end of 2019, in December, Highly recommend you check it out. The anti-competitive practices of Amazon as to how they steal open source software and make it their own. So they've gotten increasingly hostile towards our open source software. Mm -hmm. So it's very important. Well, pricing is one thing. Developer focus is another thing. But stifling innovation for open source software, which is bread and butter, all of us, you know, kind of 
kind of rely on is very dangerous, right? So increasingly, yeah. the world was getting more closed and closed, and we felt a need to create an open market. Uh, market, and 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 we saw an opportunity really with when we were deploying the software to our end users in data centers. We noticed most compute in data centers, around eighty-five percent or so, compute in data centers is not used. So that's the that's when the idea for a marketplace came about, uh, essentially creating a developer-first open cloud marketplace where anyone uh, uh, that needs capacity can get this capacity from folks that have capacity. So essentially, if you add another layer of deployability and composability on top of that, you can create a cloud that looks and feels like Amazon Web Services. Now, right now, Akash is similar to Amazon Fargate. Fargate is one of the services Amazon has. Uh, it's a container runtime service. Uh, but the vision of Akash to, is to enable a services marketplace where you will have those 300 or so services, but in a, in a decentralized way. Uh, and we are building up to that. Cool, cool. That's very exciting. And I, I definitely feel that. I mean, this is what Amazon is doing on like the, the general like store and like in their, in their shop as well um, to many um, people who want to sell stuff on, on Amazon um, that just copy their, their ideas and their products and then sell them under their own brand. Um, and uh, this is definitely hindering innovation. Um, so I think it's very important that we have solutions like Akash that are uh, permissionless and um, allow any kind of technology to uh, to thrive um, by its own uh, in, a, in a free market. And um, so speaking of that, um, like how complex is it for someone to, to build on Akash today and, and how reliable is it? Very reliable. I mean, uh, I've been running. It's so reliable that it's it's ridiculous how how far. I mean, how it runs. And I have like my website akash.network, and all these running on Akash itself. And we have monitors monitoring external, right? And there are times when we have extra loads. Uh, you know, and extra loads means extra memory. Sometimes that that may crash the application, and the application crashes. It comes back up instantly. It's beautiful when you see that fault tolerance in, in, in work. We had, uh, I think it was Juno Network that was um, initially running the test nets on Akash. Uh, I think Jacob uh, tried to do a DDoS on him, uh, and the thing recovered instantly. So it's very reliable, way more reliable than the cloud by default, right? Because it has um, fault tolerance by default. On, clouds, on cloud, you have to enable that. And you have to configure that, but Akash comes uh, with default fault tolerance. So by default, it's highly reliable. And Akash launched about in March last year, uh, about nine months, and hasn't gone down a single time. In this period, uh, Amazon went down about 50 times, right? So you know, I'm sure we are a young network, sure we're early, but just in comparison as to how many times things went down in reliability, Akash is very reliable. Is it easy to use? Um, Yes and no. Um, if you use something like Akashalytics or several Space Potato has a UI, uh, you know it's relatively easy. But if you had to, are to use a command line, it's relatively difficult. Akash is optimized for composability and not necessarily usability. And the reason for that is we have, in order to optimize usability, you you need to uh, you need to um, what do you call it? customize the user experience to the application you're developing. Uh, so we have built Akash Network to be composable so builders can uh, build usability on top of the composability we provide. 
Um, is that changing? Yes, absolutely. Is that going to get better? The core tooling as it from ease of use? Absolutely. But one thing you got to remember is the power behind Akash to do high scale, difficult things. Akash is super simple compared to Amazon, right? Say you want to have like, I don't know, 10 servers in 10 region in, in each part of the world, all synced up to a central cluster uh, of servers. The way you compose an infrastructure on SDL is very, very smooth compared to something like cloud formation, right? Which is Amazon's language. It's just a modern composability language. But if you were to put a WordPress website um, or if you were to put a React website, it's not that easy compared to something like Netlify or, or Vercel, which again is an Amazon reseller. All these are built on top of Amazon's, right? So we, have, we don't have the ecosystem yet that makes it super simple, hyper-customized for certain use cases. But that's being slowly built. Like if you, uh, uh, there's a package called Omnibus uh, that makes it super simple for uh, you to launch a testnet or a mainnet or, or a mainnet node or Cosmos chains. There is an application called Starport where that lets you scaffold a application from scratch, a Cosmos SDK based application from scratch. But soon enough, you're going to see a scaffold uh, deploy testnet. So easy to deploy in Akash, right? So the ease of use comes through these integrations uh, that are to products that are hyper-specialized in achieving X, right? But it's nearly very, very hard to build a generic platform that's super easy to use. Uh, and that's why tools like Vim and really advanced tools are not so easy to use, right? So uh, the way I measure success is, is through, a, through a metric called cognitive coefficiency. Cognitive coefficiency goes by the value perceived divided by cognitive load. If the ratio is greater than one, it's a successful product. If it's less than zero, it's not. So, so far, Akash hosts about 550 applications, live applications. Obviously, these 550 uh, users of, or deployers of these 550 applications felt that the, the cognitive, uh, you know, the, the value perceived coming from Akash is much greater than the cognitive load they need to incur. Um, and so, you know, so they find it easy to use. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a little more complex on the simplicity uh, subject. Cool. And I, I think that leads us, uh, leads us right into our next question. It's like, what does it take for Acash to win market share from AWS and Google cloud? Like significantly, what, like what needs to happen? Is it like the ease of use? Like, does it need to become better or like, is it just like, uh, adoption or like, where, where do you think are the or like what are the things that you are working on as well to, to really gain significant market share? So first we need to have capabilities match. So we don't, Akash has this one service, which is container hosting. Amazon has about 300 plus services. Google similarly has 300 plus services, right? Uh, you know, Google's and, Akash, and Amazon's and the big clouds can host a container or a VM. Along with that, provide you managed services for databases, uh, for caches, for load balancers, all these services that as a developer, even though you can deploy on Akash, you don't want to deploy on Akash or deploy or manage it yourself. They're just you know, not worth your time, right? Um, and you'd rather have a professional do it because they know how to do it, right? So. The value of Amazon or Google comes from these managed services 
that you can use and pay an extra premium. Uh, and I would say like 90% of the revenue uh, these com companies make come from these managed services. Akash doesn't have managed services. I think the first thing, the basic thing we'll need is to just capability match with Amazons and Googles. And the, uh, the managed services is not, uh, uh, it's not easy to do. I mean, it's easier in a centralized way, but consider doing that in a decentralized way, right? Say you want, uh, and the way it would work is, well, say you have an application, say you have a MongoDB cluster and an OJS application and, um, and a React frontend, right? So ideally you wanna be like, hey, Akash, deploy my React frontend to a CDN across 10 to 15 regions, optimize the routing to, to match the closest CDN uh, server to my user so that, you know, so their downloads is extremely fast, have an RPC or API layers that serve these, you know, endpoints at the edge, maybe 10 of them, um, and then have a MongoDB cluster maybe in the center uh, and have the MongoDB cluster managed by MongoDB, the company, and the node servers manage the actual runtimes optimized by node source, someone that's good at node, and the CDNs let them be optimized by a CDN company, right? So that's the future we want to build, right? And the entire, entire experience has to be s smooth and seamless, right? Um, and I think that's how we win. We win by getting all the incredible services composed in a way that's super simple for developer uh, to adopt. And we're getting there, right? It's not going to be a, a short few months process. We can't be just yelling out we're better than Amazon. We will be better than Amazon as long as we keep building in the ethos that it's a market, it's an open marketplace for anyone to participate and as long as we focus on the user, the developer, and focus on their particular use case. Now, something what I just described, uh, imagine have, imagine you as taking rewards having that capability uh, within a click, right? Uh, I mean, it's a win for you. Uh, it's, 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 and, you know, for right now, I, I imagine you have to use something like Terraform or something like, you know, uh, you know, kind of a cloud formation, uh, which is much, simpler version and, and nasty version of Terraform to do all these things and manage uh, them on your behalf, right? So yes, capabilities match. And then once you take all these capabilities and put them in a highly composable system like SDL, I think that's going to be a powerful killer combination. And one thing Akash has that the rest, the Amazons and Googles don't have is permissionlessness. And it's very powerful for composability, right? Because using permissionless systems, you can build abstractions on top of each other that do not, where the developers don't need the permission of the underlying system and still be able to innovate at a global scale with zero restrictions. And it's very, very powerful primitive uh, Akash has. And uh, a lot of our growth has been, even though we are a subpar product, I mean, all, you know, in all honesty, we don't have the capabilities that Amazon has. Even with that, uh, you know, the level we are, we are seeing we, the incredible adoption we have is because of this core nature. And that's why we will win. It's going to take time. It's not going to, you know, Chrome is not built in a day, but it will take time. But I'm very confident as long as we keep doing what we're doing by focusing on the developer, keeping our ethos open, we will win. So do you, do you think like these managed services from AWS and Google Cloud, like how, how, how would you compete with that? Like, is it like, because it's a decentralized project, is like someone going to step up and like create or like offer these services? Like when I think about Stackmore, it's like we, 
it would definitely be one of the considerations for us, I think, to move from like a Google Cloud to to an Acash, um, yeah. to have like the ease of use and like the managed services as well, because it's it's not the main part of our business, like to to run like these infrastructure. Um, if we can outsource this and if there's like professional managed services that we can fully rely on. Oh yeah, that's that's the vision of Akash. All it's been. Um, we're getting there, and the way we get there is so today. Um, let's say uh, Elastic. So you have, say you have caching, right? Um, you know you have to need an Elastic cache server. You can actually go or like MySQL or Percona, right? So if you you know go to Akash, you got to deploy the service server yourself. On Amazon, you basically get the Amazon um, sorry uh, the the DB service, and the DB the database is managed by Amazon. So instead of doing that. What if the database is managed by Percona or someone who actually created MySQL, the company that creates MySQL? Who do you think is going to be better equipped at managing MySQL, Amazon or the company that created MySQL? The company that created MySQL because you know they maintain the patch. Right now, they have no way or whatever way they're offering their managed services is, is competing with Amazon and they hate it. You know? I mean, it's anti to their entire ethos because a closed company controlling their business flow, and versus you know, you know, uh, them being able to do that. So, first thing is we will create a marketplace where anybody can participate in providing you the managed database. And by the way, the managed database will be running in in the same uh, cluster as your application server, so your latency is minimum, right? So there will be tooling for a managed services company to be able to deploy in the same cluster and have all the tooling to, to debug and update and all the all the stuff they need to do. But the procurement will be in an open way where anybody can participate and there will be a reputation system that you know we're working on that lets you choose which is the best provider, maybe tied to the GitHub and the social reputation system. So you can validate that this is this is the same person who created it. In instances where the creators don't want to manage, we'll have some sort of a royalty mechanism where, say, I don't know, uh, uh, the creator of Redis, right? Uh, Salvador, his name is. I love Redis, uh, but he's an engineer. He doesn't want to like offer you managed services. But there are companies like Redis Labs that can offer you managed services, right? Uh, so figure out a way to incentivize a creator, the open source creator. Um, uh, while outsourcing the operation to a different company. So we have an entire design where it lets these companies that are that are struggling right now, the open source company, uh, struggling right now to make money to offer their services on Akash in a low latency manner or whatever latency manner that, that you, can, you want to design, right? Whatever proximity you want to design. Uh, and we started laying out, and a lot of my friends, uh, uh, Brian Fox, for example, who's a big Akash holder, Brian Fox, Fox created the Bash shell, if you remember Bash. Everybody uses Bash, right? Uh, he was the first employer at the Free Software Foundation. They love this idea of an open cloud for open source software, right? And he's helping me design uh, the system. There are a lot of amazing people that are involved right now in helping us design this, this system, an open marketplace system. Uh, we're hoping to see something in, by end of 2022. Uh, so 2023, I think, is going to be... Uh, a, you know, if we have a function system like this, it's it's a game changer. It changes everything, right? Like it's it's a, but that's what we're building towards. But we can't get there without perfecting the container runtime. 
uh, system first, because that is the foundation for any system to be built on top. So the Akash network, uh, the and there's also innovation when it comes to payments. So you know we're creating a global cloud token, right? Akash token um, that will feed into uh, the um, these backend services in a more stable manner. So there's a lot of amazing things happening. We're just touching the tip of the iceberg right now. It's exciting, and I can't wait for it actually um, to to deploy on Akash as well. Me neither. Um... <laughs> like I love building all the services, but managing a database is a pain in the ass. Like I don't want to do that, right? Like true, yeah. yeah. So let's jump a little bit into like the differences between decentralized cloud computing and decentralized cloud storage. Like for example, Arweave and Filecoin. Like, are you planning to provide similar services as well, or like how will they work together, kind of, um, to create like a a fully holistic, truly decentralized infrastructure stack? And like you, you talked earlier about okay, like real time storage and long term storage, and like. How, how do you position Acash and like how how do like these computing and storage also um, like intertwine with each other? Right. So Akash has storage, but the lifetime of the storage uh, equals the lifetime of the lease. So whatever storage you whatever Akash provides you know, supports stateful workloads. That means you can st store state on Akash. But the state goes away the moment you end the lease, right? So any and anything could end the lease. It could be a provider initiated, it could be a tenant initiated. So there's no guarantee your data is going to live forever, right? On Akash, and we don't plan on providing anything, uh, any extra service like an object storage uh, service, like you see with S3, which, uh, that can store your data on a long term. Uh, that's just not in the Akash's model, right? Um, but we have to work with others like Filecoin or Saya or RV. Uh, I, I would say Saya is, is a beautiful example because a lot of our users, actually, you know, I, um, I actually store my MySQL backups. Say so I have a MySQL website I'm running, MySQL backup on Saya. And when I boot my Akash application, I take the data from Saya, load it into Akash for the real-time uh, real block storage. And once I, and I back it up again in real-time back to Saya, right? So in case my application goes down for whatever reason, my data is still uh, living in Saya, right? So I, I use Saya as my authoritative source uh, or view. Or view is just, little more expensive, but it provides a different use case. It gives you permanency. Saya, I need to keep paying to keep my data, but uh, but RV, I pay once and it lives forever, right? But it's a lot more expensive. So depending on your use case, you can use what kind of data uh, storage uh, solution that you want. And that's the beauty of an open market, right? And I, we don't foresee offering cloud storage like Saya on RV. We, we are using them very well, but I'd like to see a little, simpler interoperable system, more automated system in the future, right? Right now I have to hold Sire tokens and Akash tokens to use them or RB tokens, but really nice to be like, hey, I want to store this full time uh, in like forever and just pay invisibly using my you know, RB tokens, right? I think that's the future we're going to build towards, not like Akash offering storage, cloud storage. That's not in our priorities or that's not in the best interest. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and 
So, so what will the world look like in which Acres Acres will be extremely successful? And um, like, what, what's your personal moon scenario for Acres? Like, how how does the world look like? Um, will everything like run on Acres, all software, all services in the world? Um, and how how would that world kind of look like for the end user as well? Is it going to change anything for the end user? Like the, oh, yeah. the people who are actually like going to the website, consuming software and so on, like, do they have a different experience or does it, does it feel the same as what we have currently? When Akash is at like a full success state, everybody in the world will use Akash and not know that you're using Akash. There are devices in our houses uh, that we drive that help us every day in doing different things all have a compute, right? Cars, for example, cars are increasingly getting powerful. Uh, they are, you know, they're increasingly getting heavily computationalized, like GPUs in, in Tesla's. Um, someone can make up to $800 mining <laughs> crypto on, on, on Tesla, right? So why isn't your Tesla paying for itself? Why isn't your refrigerator paying for itself? Why isn't your gaming console that you have uh, which I believe is going to be taking a much bigger uh, role with Metaverse, right? There's a lot of GPUs lying around in your house. Why aren't they, why aren't they being uh, put to use, right? So at a full state, Akash success state will look like all these compute, uh, unused compute should be used by someone that needs it. And I think if you do so, the cost uh, that we pay on the cloud will significantly come down when we unlock all this unused compute. So end state for Akash is not just taking over cloud, but I think redefining what cloud is, right? Uh, looking at every possible underutilized resource and enabling utility on top of that. Um, and yeah, the first step is taking over cloud and that's going to, uh, you know, come to, that's going to happen when we have capabilities match, but that's that even that is very early. I think the next step will be like when Tesla has Akash installed in it. Uh, that that would be my end state. That's when you know it's going to be like, uh, I mean, yeah, and that's what you want open soft open protocols to have anyway. Akash is open protocol. Anyone can build upon. I think that's uh, that is the single most important property that'll get us there. That would be nice. Tesla cloud running on Acash. Right? Like <laughs> it's possible. Like when your Tesla is charging in the night, it's useless. It should offer those GPUs to a machine learning researcher, you know, the other part of the world that can run a few models in the night and your Tesla making money on it. I mean, it's like when it's parking, it's useless, right? Like Yeah, no, that's exciting. I mean, it's probably parking like 90% of the time or like even more. Um why yeah. not just like make use of that? Yeah. Is it like is it possible for like for phones as well? Do you see like plugging in phones because phones are probably just most like more than Teslas, like probably fifty yeah. percent of the time or something, uh, or maybe a little bit less. But uh, people use their phones often. Um, but you could use that as well and plug it into something like Acash. Yeah, we are coming up with a ARM first uh, build very very soon. It's on the roadmap. I think we, we haven't announced it, but. I think like this this quarter and next we'll have an ARM and GPU build coming out, so you can put that on your phones, Akash. 
like one click install on your phones. I think Androids will come first. Um, love to see like GPUs are going to redefine Akash because GPUs now all of a sudden will make phones and these devices a lot more attractive to run Akash, right? Right now, Akash is compute only, so having that on the phone is useless because you're running low latency websites and phones are not server grade infrastructure. But GPUs can be sliced and diced in weird ways, like so many ways, you know, because just compute. So I think GPUs are going to be a big, big shift for Akash. The possibilities of what Akash you can do with Akash uh, on the phones, on the devices, on the cars, even. I actually saw, it's funny enough. Uh, so Tesla, I mean, of course, it's great, but th there are people like GM, people like Honda. Uh, I have friends that are work. They're all actually looking at containers very seriously. Red Hat is doing amazing work in developing something called CarOS. And I predicted this like in 2015. I was talking to Samuel Daimler in, in Germany on this idea. We were brainstorming that, hey, cars should just start using containers and Kubernetes to manage the internal workloads. I mean, cars have about 200 computers these days, right? And they were like, yeah, this is a fine idea. But I think people now have started realizing that uh, that containers are, are great for devices. And Akash is a container native uh, system. So from what we are seeing with Red Hat, and I don't know if there are any enterprise people that work with containers here listening, please reach out to me, especially if you work in the enterprise space. Uh, I would love to learn more, but we're seeing quite a bit of penetration in the mobility space uh, with, with container native tech. I'd love to position our cash there now, just to just to see, even though it's early, but I think it's it's possible right now from technology. And from a societal standpoint, it's, it's more acceptable container native systems. Uh, but, oh boy, I'm just super excited, like what the next few years, what will bring to, um, what Akash will bring, because Akash is a device first you know, be, being decentralized, being optimized or run anywhere, uh, we are very well positioned to be de device first where the cloud completely skipped the device uh, in the world, right? So another reason why we're going to win is because of that, like a device first approach, uh, because there's a whole new generation of, uh, of, of, of like machines that haven't touched the cloud. Yeah. So do you think once uh, Ethereum moves to the beacon chain proof of stake entirely, like all the Ethereum GPU miners uh, will deploy on the or like run the Akash uh, provider software or like yes is that a possible scenario? Absolutely, with the GPUs coming, uh, all the Ethereum miners can run Akash on them and repurpose their hardware, and that's a big bet we're making actually. So we're very excited for GPUs. Awesome. So GPUs, so how, yeah. So yeah. so how do, how does it look like for um, someone running like a, a provider node? um like how how do they start with it and like what, what are also the the differences between running a validator and then running a, a a cloud provider um and can you do that separately can you do it like only together and like what's the profit model there how profitable is it really to to do that so theoretically they're separate things so validating a cache is validating the cache blockchain and uh, you know, and that's similar to running a any Cosmos SDK blockchain, right? Uh, it does not validators do not provide compute, although some validators are starting to, but they're not required to uh, provide compute. It's a lot simpler to run a validator node 
uh, I mean, a lot simpler than running a provider node, uh, but it's, it's a little complex. Um, there are only 100 validators now on Akash. Uh, we see that number increase once in a while. Um, and I think that number is bound to increase. Uh, it's, it's, com it's community governance driven, right? So, um, and uh, well, you don't, well, you earn income through commissions from staking rewards or whatever rewards, you know, right now staking, soon we'll have take income. So we have staking rewards that validators earn a commission from, right? And right now the inflation being 30 odd percent, I think the, and the APR folks can earn by staking to validators is around 40, 45%, right? Uh, pretty decent. Whereas the real money comes from providers, right? So providers are actually providing compute to a cash network. They're separate from validators and they have to be separate because we don't want a conflict of interest. We don't want a system that's validated by providers that will act in, act in the best interest of providers only and not the tenants. So it's very important for us to have separation of concern and decouple these, these uh, important user groups, right? So providers provide compute for Akash and in exchange they earn uh, Akash tokens. Um, and uh, we are actually right now, uh, it's a very straightforward model. You get paid for what you offer, but we are working on a more incentivized model where uh, some of the lack of demand can be um, fulfilled by 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 uh, staking rewards, right? So it's a little complex to run a provider right now. You need to run a Kubernetes cluster. I mean, there's a guide on our on our documentation website, Docs or Akash Network. You need to have a functioning Kubernetes cluster, and with every new capability, you need to have the, you need to be able to support the capability. So soon we'll have persistent storage. That means you need to support network storage. Uh, we'll have ASN marketplace, that means IP address marketplaces, then you need to support ASNs, right? So because cloud is very complex, providers tend to be complex uh, organizations, right? Uh, anyone can become a provider, of course, it's a decentralized network, but in order to be, in order to be able to win all these, uh, you know, jobs, uh, Akash has an open auction system uh, where you win jobs, you need to provide capabilities, right? Uh, storage, ASINs, and all these capabilities. So unless you have that, you won't be able to make money. So that's why you have bigger providers like Equinix, Orion, uh, and several others uh, that are professional that know how to do th these things, providing compute more than uh, mom and pops. But we're seeing quite a bit of like mom and pops uh, catching up, right? We have about 79 providers on Akash. Not too many people know this, uh, uh, but Equinix being the largest one takes a lot of dominance right in the ecosystem so yes it is um, a little complex than running a validator node cool yeah that's that's exciting and it is possible for anyone to to run a node um i think that's what it's about and um this will certainly uh become easier over time as well um, yeah no we are working we're so, doing a big overhaul on provider uh provider operations uh there's a framework we'll, we'll be publishing very soon uh, the toolings we're going to do. And there's another tool called Handy OS, which I highly recommend check it out. That literally makes a, a single box provider. I don't know how useful or useless it's going to be in terms of like giving you useful compute, but that's just an example of how simplified it can get to run a provider. It'll manage the manage running the uh, Kubernetes cluster, the whole shebang of it. Uh, but I think Akash is going to make Kubernetes much simpler to use. 
uh, and and we're working towards it. Cool. So um, talking about the the validators um, and the Acash network itself, like what was like what what were your reasons and objectives to build on the Cosmos SDK? Like you talked about it earlier, that you're kind of it was also one of the first projects you were really interested in, and you tried it on Ethereum first, and so on. Um, yeah. Good question. So we we built on Ethereum, right? First, just a prototype because when you're prototyping, you want you don't necessarily know what you're getting into. You want to be able to quickly uh, deploy something and validate that deployment, right? Um, and we really didn't want to build our own blockchain. We wanted we are big, you know, believers in build only things that you need because software is hard, and and we're we're a cloud infrastructure, uh, you know, product, right? We are not a blockchain product per se. We so we chose Ethereum first, and then Ethereum just was really bad. I mean, gas fees weren't that expensive back then, but the scalability just was really bad, right? Um, and CryptoKitties launched and crashed our <laughs> crash Akash. And we were like, well, you can't really have an infrastructure platform that's promising sovereignty and stability run on, um, uh, on Ethereum. But Ethereum is great for proof of concept, right? But terrible to run production systems, even, even and it's gotten worse. Um, and well, and then we were, you know, the choice was like, oh, build your own blockchain. Uh, and we really didn't want to do that because, well, it's going to take a lot of, lot of money and a lot of time to build a blockchain. Um, and then when we were disparate, we discovered Tendermint. So Tendermint was this library that, uh, you know, was written in Go. I mean, we are a big Go shop and I've been writing Go code since 2014. And, um, it's not perfect back then at least. 2016, 2017, I think time frame, 2017 time frame. It wasn't perfect. It was there. It kind of could work. Um, but it's better than having nothing for us. So Tendermint provided this consensus engine uh, that, but essentially the blockchain, the state machine for the blockchain that we can build upon. Uh, and since it was written in Go, it, we had this confidence that if anything goes wrong, we could actually you know, apply fixes and fix it ourselves. And I think we started like fixing in sending batches up to the upstream quite a bit uh, during the time frame, and then we we read the paper on IBC, uh, and that really resonated with us because composability uh, between sovereign blockchains versus a, I mean you can have composability on a shared state system that's not that complicated, but having composability on a sovereign uh, systems uh, is the future that we envision, and that's how you scale systems. You scale system by decoupling, you know, uh, interest, right? As software engineer, like if you look at highly coupled systems, you know how dangerous they can be and you know how limited in scalability they can be, right? It doesn't take a genius. So we were absolute believers in highly decoupled sovereign systems that can compose with each other. And um, we started looking at different composability models. I mean, Coil or Interledger, back then, Stefan uh, Thomas' uh, brainchild, uh, that provided a very interesting model. It was much cleaner, much simpler than IBC, but uh, it was too simple for us to use and it wasn't complete. And then you had Cosmos SDK, um, 
which essentially built upon the Tendermint engine written in Go. Uh, and by the way, so when we started building on Tendermint, we Tendermint is a modular system. So you can have like all these different features on, on, a, on, on a blockchain, like accounts, uh, you know, wallets, staking, um, all these, you know, different functionalities, governance, for example, are modular. So you can drop in a module and you get the functionality. It's really simple, really cool uh, for building, you know, uh, L1s from scratch. So we were developing, since there was no Cosmos SDK back then, we started developing all these modules uh, ourselves and started like, you know, you know, and launched several test nets, very unstable test nets. They would all crash all the time because we wrote the code ourselves and it was just too much to write for a small team. So, and again, in 2019, I remember Adam uh, had this massive tweet somewhere. Uh, he deleted like 150,000 lines of code. <laughs> uh, the code we've been writing for so long. Uh, and migrated to Cosmos SDK in like a few months, like a month or two. And because Cosmos SDK came along and, and built a much better modular system, modules than we were building because you had a lot more people building it versus our small team. So the choice was like, well, we can get more current by deleting our custom modules and using Cosmos SDK's modules uh, and kind of developing with that upstream and helping them build a better system versus doing it ourselves. So our choice was Cosmos was very organic, for example, for, for a lot of, lot of, you know, as a matter of fact, and also making the right bets. We made the bet that this, this is an ecosystem that we want to be part of because a lot of, I, I saw the, the way this ecosystem progresses and had a lot of parallels with Kubernetes, right? I've seen Kubernetes early ecosystem, the Docker can, Docker and Kubernetes ecosystem, the kind of passion people have towards building uh, uh, these platforms, the kind of interaction, the kind of uh, approach people take, the pragmatic approach, all that resonated quite a bit. And I've seen that in, in Cosmos, uh, you know, uh, ecosystem, right? The the people. And, uh, and, uh, and we were right. I'm glad to be right. And now you look at IBC as this real thing with osmosis and all the beautiful things built on Cosmos SDK. Um, uh, and I'm so glad to make that bet back then and, 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 and seeing this through, right? So I'm just, uh, and I'm, I'm way more confident now seeing osmosis and others building on, on Cosmos that this is going to be the future. There's no doubt. There's, there's no way in hell a shared state system can have the same level of scalability and performance a sovereign system. And when the sovereign system can interoperate, that's the killer. And super hyper bullish, like on, on Cosmos in general. That's great. Um, and I, I think it's definitely proven to, to start out right. Um, also, a uh, shout out to the Cosmos gang in the chat here. Um, I think we have a lot of Cosmos believers here. And Akash um, is definitely a strong part of the Cosmos ecosystem. And speaking about the, the modules that you choose, so you've decided to pick like a 30% inflation and like according to like stackmodels.com, um, you will see like 43% or 45% or something um, APR currently on, on delegating ACash. Um, so 
how, how do you think about that? Like it's the, it's the highest inflation rate, like from many of the uh, Cosmos ecosystem chains. Um, how, how do you think about that decision today? And like, what does it accomplish? And um, what was the objective in general to, to establish such a high inflation rate? So I wrote a paper in 2019 talking about bootstrapping free markets by borrowing from the future, right? So the Akash inflation model, for those of you that don't know, is a deflationary inflationary model, right? So the fixed supply of 389 uh, million tokens um, that get released over time in a decay curve, right? Uh, where the inflation rate, the emission rate, is on a decay curve that goes to near zero in 80 years or something. The idea behind that was, well, you need to, first of all, you know, launch a system and secure the system. How are you going to secure the system? By creating, by creating incentives for you to stake your tokens. And what's the incentive for that? Well, if you give a very attractive incentive in the beginning, like a high staking ratio, you're going to attract a lot more folks to uh, to secure your network. And we were right. And when we launched, we launched with a very high APR. I think at some point we, we had like close to 90% of these tokens being staked. And also another thing you can do with higher inflation is you can actually incentivize behavior that you want to see in the system, right? So first important thing from a priority standpoint was to um, have a very strong security model and also recruit or distribute the tokens to believers uh, that are going to hang on for a very long time. So stakers tend to be the most powerful, you know, um, support pillar for Akash Network now and moving forward. So this decay curve-based inflation is a way to distribute tokens to early believers of the system, right? Uh, so that's how you actually filter out uh, the, the strong hands versus weak hands because the strong ones are staking, restaking because they understand there's a fixed supply of Akash tokens. And the way to get to those, those tokens, the only way is to stake. And then you have the weak hands where, well, they're going to take the staking rewards and, and sell them in a marketplace thinking Akash is an income generating asset. Yeah, sure, there's nothing wrong with it uh, if that's what you want to do. But also realize that you by you selling the tokens means you're getting less percentage of the network, right? So, um, so yes, it's a token distribution mechanism that incentivizes long-term thinkers and long-term believers because Akash right now, yes, it's about... Uh, 300 million market cap, that's nothing, it's a blip, right? Um, it's a blip in what, what's possible and what's coming. Uh, yeah, you can make some money by selling a cash tokens, but uh, the real money is, again, there's, none of this is forward-looking statements. I, I want to make sure none of this is financial advice, but but really think about in, in, the, in the context of things, cloud is just a cloud business is about 700, you know, billion dollars right it's going to be a trillion dollar market but beyond that the devices and the compute market is just humongous and if you consider it's going to be a fixed supply of tokens uh to serve the market the real value will come from demand for usage of these tokens not from from staking rewards right but the staking rewards really incentivizes early believers and that's 
that's how we thought about it. And we laid the foundation for a high inflationary based uh, system. And all the projects that came after Akash, Persistence and, and everything else kind of took this template into high inflation. People thought this is going to create a ruckus. No, but it, it got the chain to a $300 billion, $300 million chain. Um, and of course, you know, but actual incentive is going to be the deflationary properties um, of Akash that is created by the demand for the Akash token. And Akash Economics 2.0, which is coming, uh, we started working on it. And it's going to make a cash token deflationary. Uh, so we are working on a more stable exchange of value because a cash token volatility, even though there are solutions we, we propose how to overcome the volatility when you're paying for your hosting, um, people don't find it easy uh, to, to do. So the easier solution is to not make people think. Right now we're making people think a lot. So that means we have to go to a more stable uh, exchange of value, which is coming coming very excited and we're going to do a lot more with the cash economics to that oh uh that are going to make a cash more deflationary uh while incentivizing staking so it's going to be a fun uh, fun thing that's awesome yeah and i yeah. i think it's really like a beautiful way to look at it again like as well because most protocols just think about like the inflation as like how much inflation do we need to really provide like secure network and secure infrastructure um, but you're more looking at like incentivizing early believers which is kind of merging like the security of the network aspect um, with like some sort of like airdrop concept or something that's like established like very very successfully in the crypto ecosystem like to to get adoption and like to reward early believers and so on so um in that sense um Akash is probably the like the the first very well-designed uh, stake drop of all times um, uh, to to distribute to to the to the true believers and um, maybe to give some sentiment, guys, um, in the chat. Like if, if you're staking a cash, uh, give us like some some plus um, show like um, that you're staking a cash. Like are you are you into it? Um, just let us know like the sentiment here, um, and then. Um, Jumping into the next question, um, like, how, how do you think, like, what role will staking play in the Akash network, like, going forward as well? Um, so you you just touched on it, basically. Um, are you, um, do, do you have any specific plans on the tokenomics? Um, and how will, like, that deflationary model look like in, in detail? Can you, can you share more on that already? Or uh, I don't want to jump the gun here, but... The Akash is a proof of stake chain. So staking is going to be the only way to secure the chain. I don't think we're going to proof of work, but the incentives are going to change. I mean, there's definitely the notion of um, the take income. That means some percentage of Akash's hosting fees are going to be uh, incentivizing staking, right? So, so the but right now it's not meaningful. We only have, you know, I don't know, thousand. It's very little, right? I mean, Akash doesn't make as much as money to make that take income meaningful. Uh, but that's going to be. Uh, but it it becomes meaningful at scale. Um, uh, that's going to come. But we're also looking at different ways on how to capture the value indirectly versus directly because of regulatory implications. Uh, more than more more so um so stakers are going to 
continue being the the critical pillar for Akash and they're always going to be, you know, because they're believers and, and because that that's, you know, when things go wrong, they are the ones who are going to come uh, to your to your uh, to your side, right? Um the but we are looking at making Akash token more store of value. Like we looked at Oterra has done phenomenally well with UST, uh, where you have the burn and mint mechanism uh, for synthetics. So Akash token, if you consider the token for the cloud, especially when we have the decentralized market uh, uh, open up, uh, we're, we're going to, and we are kind of finding it difficult to sell the concept that you got to pay using a volatile token. So I think stable token is going to be very key for adoption, right? Uh, not only for Akash, but from the Akash's ecosystem, when you have all these like third-party services. So, but the Akash token will be used either as a collateral or either as a burn mechanism. So, um, to generate these stable assets. So, Terra has, USD has done a phenomenal job in proving that that's possible. So, we're looking at something uh, similar model, but again, we got to keep the concept that we may not have the type of use cases USD supports. USD is a gen general stablecoin. Uh, that is going to be a lot widely used than Akash's stablecoin, right? So, and how do you sort of like uh, take that into consideration when you design these stablecoins uh, to be a very ecosystem-specific stable stablecoin and not necessarily the general world everybody uses Akash stablecoin, right? So, so a lot of the design considerations we have to make uh, that we're working through, um, and uh, also from like a depository uh, standpoint, yes. Uh, these backend services uh, need some sort of like, you know, uh, what do you call uh, slashing conditions, right? So there's some depository requirements um, that tie back to the Akash token, right? So anything we do in the Akash ecosystem ties back to AKT token, uh, even though even if you're, even though it's a new token or, or you know some behavior we want to incentivize or something like that. As Akash ecosystem gets bigger and bigger the utility for a cash token gets uh, bigger. But the only way to get or like increase your cash token or your cost, reduce your cost basis or increase your token position is through staking right now. Yeah. So you, you just talked about the slashing. Is it actually like when you run a, a cloud provider node on Acash, do you, do you have any deposit or anything? Or like how, how do you prevent someone to like run corrupted software or like inject any kind of flaws into the system um is there like a, a collateral or like how how is akt uh kind of connected to like the cloud providers and, and what's the slashing there and how do you make sure that the system um doesn't get Truth. like hijacked yeah. or anything so akash relies on redundancy versus uh fault prevention there's really way, no way to prevent faults in a generic system right uh, you have to only way to prevent fault is through is to have a higher a higher uh, abstraction. So Akash relies on more of a redundancy to prevent faults versus trying to prevent fault uh, uh, directly. That said, Akash has a decentralized auditing system, uh, which essentially enables sort of like a peer-to-peer -peer auditing mechanism uh, based on attributes that are public. So for example, today, if you are on Amazon or uh, Equinix, you don't know if Amazon Equinix are being bad actors. You just trust them because they have a brand. Now, 
today we trust system. This trust is critical for us to do anything today, right? Um, and we're kind of extending that. We're not trying to challenge that model, uh, but we're trying to minimize the trust required, but not eliminate it completely. So, and in order to, in order for that to happen, we need a decentralized sort of like identity establishment mechanism. That's where the, the auditing attributes comes into play. Um, and without going into too much in detail, it is possible to know who's running your workloads. And it is possible to know the identity uh, that's, that's verified somehow, right? In a decentralized way. And that's that's how you know uh, to, to, that's how you can minimize trust. But there's really no way uh, to filter out uh, bad unknown actors. There's a way to filter out bad known actors, right? So that's the approach we take. Cool, cool. That so, like for sense. example, yeah. and that that makes like so every application is different, right? Like for example, if you're running a health or financial application, you have financial data, it's highly sensitive data. You may want to put that data on a Quinix or someone that you know you trust, right? Uh, but say you're running a machine learning application and your machine learning application just takes in number in, number out. It's a FIFO, right? Um, you don't need to trust. You can run that on Ukrainian data center or my, my fridge. You don't need to trust. You know, you know, and you have redundancy to, 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 to check that from different sources. You know if a single source is corrupt, it's a corrupt source and you throw it away. There's no risk. So depending on the application, you can have the freedom of choice as to what service to trust, right? Some applications require zero trust. Some applications need absolute trust. There's no way in hell, right? Um, uh, so Akash gives you the flexibility on who to trust, and that's that's beauty. Cool, cool. That's great. Um, so, um, like going forward, like can you share a little bit of like the immediate roadmap for Akash, or like the like how do the coming months look like? What can people look forward to? Yeah, I highly recommend you go check out akash.network slash roadmap. We did uh, also on our blog, we did a quick update as to where we are um, with our roadmap. A big thing that's coming up in February is a testnet uh, that'll enable persistent storage uh, on the on the uh, network in the mainnet. We, we have that in the testnet right now. It works really well. The big thing is persistent storage because that'll unlock Data heavy applications like full nodes, like Ethereum nodes, Solana nodes, um, you know, Cosmos nodes, for example. Uh, so you'll be able to run validators and really heavy data stuff really simply on a cache. Right now, it's very limited. I think there's a limit of one terabyte of data that you can run. Um, so uh, we're really excited to power through Solana ecosystem after that happens because right now, Solana ecosystem is struggling with bootstrapping the RPC servers, bootstrapping in anything they need, they end up using like public RPC servers and they, they end up crashing these RPC servers, right? So simply boot up an RPC server and with, with start like with, and also you'll start seeing like things where you want, and we're going to store like store snaps, snapshot for most Cosmos chains. So Akash will become the fastest way to deploy a Cosmos chain, sync from the snapshot that's local in your network uh, you, we're going to make this whole experience of like booting up a node, uh, either in a uh, heavily distributed way where you have three or four nodes 
in a cluster with with sentries and whatnot will make this whole like setting up things really quickly with storage right uh immediately after that we're going to have gpus in another uh we're suspecting another three to five months for the gpus to be ready um and the big ticket item uh and we have other amazing properties features that do log retention and ip address marketplace uh, you know, IP addresses, having unique IP addresses for your services is critical, especially for Solana and whatnot. And then the big thing leading up to the end of the year is going to be the services marketplace I was talking about, the decentralized services marketplace. So we have a very aggressive and a very ambitious roadmap that we published, and we're powering through that. That's amazing. I think there are a lot of um, very, very exciting stuff on your roadmap, and I, I can't wait for the GPU mining and uh, for the for the GPU in general and for the marketplace as well um i think that's really gonna catapult acash uh to the next level in terms of like really competing with like big players there yep yeah very excited about that too so like how can people like anyone like in the chat here like people in general um how can the community support acash and and get involved great uh so first we're hiring uh akash.network slash careers we have five or six jobs rec rec open we're looking for amazing engineers developers marketers if you know anybody um so if you want to get involved please uh apply there or talk to me uh second is spread the word in terms of what you can do right now so and let's be honest with it and i don't want reply boys i don't want you to be like you know some exchange is having some trouble hey akash can fix it no you can't really we're not there yet, but genuinely be curious. Like the most important things we need right now is full end-to-end -end decentralization, right? Like a lot of times you have DEXs, uh, like a lot of Uniswap labs, for example, controls Uniswap.org, you know, they should not do that. They should have an, a handshake domain name called Uniswap that talks on a cash server, uh, you know, that loads from a snapshot living on RV or Saya, right? The entire thing should be decentralized instead of Uniswap.org running behind uh, Cloudflare or running behind, which is running on Amazon, you know, which is running, you know, like in a fully centralized way, right? So I think just bring in their exchanges, uh, DeFi products like Osmosis that runs completely, uh, at least the API servers, and now they're bringing the front end to Akash. You have things like Rango Exchange, which is fully decentralized, right? So Akash is great for DAOs. So if you have a DAO, and if you're part of a DAO, highly encourage you putting a proposal to bring that DAO's website or any data service that DAO uses onto Akash because you don't have a key man risk, right? A DAO today, if they want to deploy on Amazon, you have to elect a member uh, from your DAO that'll go and has all the keys and has all the power. With Akash, Anyone that controls the key controls the workload, right? So Akash is great for DAOs. Um, second thing Akash is really good for is mining, proof of work mining per se, not necessarily proof of stake. Proof of work because the cost is about one one fifth uh, of what you can pay right now on Akash. There is a website called Akashalytics. Highly encourage you to take it out. If someone could post a link there, it'd be great. Akashalytics has a price comparison chart on top and it'll show you Akash is like 80 to 70% cheaper than Amazon. Uh, again, cheap, how does that mean? What does it mean? Akash is not cheap for managed services because Akash doesn't have managed services. But just cloud compute per CPU, per memory uh, unit, 
is cheaper. So it's great for mining. If you're running any cloud mining shop uh, or any cloud mining operation, PKT uh, ecosystem leverages Akash quite a bit. Uh, I'd love to see more uh, more uh, mining use case. And I think we're going to, after we have storage enabled, we're going to enable a lot of like mining requires big storage uh, or not required. Some of the mining protocols, some of the proof of work protocols do have big snapshots. I think with proof persistent storage, you're going to have a lot of those use cases. But right now you can do a lot of simple, um, you know, CPU mining, bandwidth mining, and all kinds of cool things on Akash. Uh, we do have a lot of providers. We don't, we're not, I think we're over not, you know, providers, we have a huge list of pipeline that, that, that we're slowly unlocking. There tends to be a lot more supply uh, than demand as we predicted. So that seems to be true. So really help we need is onboarding DAOs and onboarding DeFi applications, onboarding miners. Uh, that's the biggest value you can provide. Um, and of course, if you're willing to, you know, if you want to jump or work for Akash, you know, we're, we're looking for people as well. That's awesome. Very, very actionable advice, I think. Um, I saw Aldin in the chat just staked another 600 AKT. Next step, uh, convince your, your local DAO to deploy on Akash, I would say. Ask your DAO when Akash over Amazon. <laughs> Right, cool, cool. So um, that's it for like most of the long form questions. And uh, let's jump into like some of the community questions. Um, like we have the giveaway with like total $5,000 worth of AKT, which is uh, super exciting. Biggest giveaway we've ever done in Stacking Mondays. Um, and uh, we pick five winners now. Each we get uh, $1,000 of uh, AKT tokens. And uh, we ask the question to you. Um, and uh first winner is uh live and let die uh congrats to you um and um the question is how do you plan to attract new devs to build on acash and are universities an option as well how do you plan to attract uh by a few things right now akash so when it dap uh, so dap has two main components it has i would say the component, the state, which is usually on Ethereum or Solana or Cosmos, is fully decentralized. Whereas the and the runtime, uh, when it comes to user interaction, the websites, the API servers, or the RPC servers that talk to the blockchain, that seem to be heavily centralized. Right. The first and obvious thing we need to do is increase education. Yes, you can take your your RPC server and your front end and move that to a cache and have it fully decentralized like Osmosis or like Rango, right? Just awareness of for, for a DAO, I think increasing that will be great. And second thing is, we got to make it simple. You got to make it super simple. Right, right now, they use something called Netlify or, or Vercel, which is very simple to use uh, in all honesty, right? So, but using a cache, uh, it's not that simple. And we are working on a new CLI. We're working on amazing simple, uh, features that will make it super simple, a lot simpler than using Vercel or, or, or Netlify. Uh, so, and third thing we need to uh, uh, work on is is uh, on-ramping, right? Like, so right now it's very hard to get a cash tokens to use a cash versus going to a centralized system where you put your credit card, right? Uh, and there are solutions uh, we are we're working through to make that on-ramp much simpler. So one of the features we we enable that Akash is decoupling payment from operations. So you can 
we're, we're working on a system where you, your users can pay using credit cards uh, that, and to, to some provider that'll purchase AKT tokens using the credit card and not transfer the AKT tokens, but still power the account that uses the Akash um, that can deploy on Akash and paid through a different entity. So as long as you don't transfer tokens to the user, it's legal. So we are working on a way that'll enable us to essentially spin up uh, UIs that the user doesn't have to touch AKT, it just happens invisibly on the back end. Um, so, so three things we need. We need number one, awareness, number two, uh, simplicity, and number three, easy access in order for us to attract more dApps. And we're working through that. Uh, aggressively. All right. And so you actually like in, in general, like to attract more dApps, I think the question was more like to attract more developers. Um, but I, I, I think this was very interesting anyway. Right. Um, I mean, same thing, right? Like make it simple, it's, easy. It's it's basically the, the same thing, um, I think. Um, so let's, let's move on. Um, Second uh, winner of today, um, and a great question as well, is from Aerosol. Um, so congratulations to you. Uh, $1,000 worth of AKT. Um, does Acash's reliance on unused cloud capacity and centralized data centers compromise its vision of a decentralized cloud computing service? And how does the Acash mini, super mini factor into this? Uh, not really, because most compute right now, unused compute is on big data centers. There are about 8.2 million data centers in the world um, that have 85% or so unused compute. Uh, it, it's, the sample is big enough that it doesn't compromise the decentralized nature of Akash. And Supermini, so Supermini is some background. The, the vision of Supermini was to get to decentralization way quickly. Uh, than what's possible right now. So we, when we designed Supermini, we wanted to put GPUs, but we realized having GPUs um, is way harder than uh, uh, on Kubernetes than it, it seemed to be, right? So, so we have to push away GPU. I mean, we didn't cancel Supermini. We're, we're pushing it away uh, for a future date when we'll have GPUs and when we can attract compute that can run on a GPU-based system, right? So uh, our reliance on data centers does not compromise, but it bootstraps supply so that we can actually go build meaningful networks, a meaningful network that'll eventually uh, reduce the reliance on a big data center to a point it can be a super mini or it can be a phone or it can be a fridge or it can be a car, it doesn't really matter. But we are, we are not there yet in terms of like, uh, attractiveness from a user standpoint. Uh, and that will only happen if you have the, the big data center supporting us in the, in the stages. But, but the vision is always way more decentralized than big data centers. Cool. Great. Great. Um, leads us to the third question and third winner, uh, Marty OG. Congratulations to you, man. Um, $1,000 worth of AKT. Um, so his question is, collaboration is very important today and Acash recently partnered with Polygon. What partnerships is Acash planning or with which projects would you like to partner in the future? So I guess we already talked about like storage uh, projects and so on, like which partnerships are important for you guys? 
So for us, it's the ecosystem, right? So like Polygon and Solana, phenomenal ecosystems. Uh, they have amazing dApps in these uh, ecosystems. They all should use Akash, right? Um, and a lot of us, a lot of this year is going to be working on, and and in full honesty, we haven't, we have announced partnerships, we did marketing into this ecosystem, but we haven't really put a lot of work in bringing in a lot of Solana apps yet on Akash, uh, you know, in full transparency. And why? Because, well, we haven't, we had, we could solve one problem of decentralization, but we can't really solve the problem of capabilities, right? For, for example, for a Solana application, a meaningful Solana application run on Akash, you need RPC servers that require a lot of data. Akash cannot, cannot support persistence data, right? Not yet. It'll, it'll support next month onwards in mainnet. So any effort we have in Solana ecosystem is going to be subpar with centralized cloud. Um, and with Polygon, same thing. Like, well, we, you know, if you go and go to a Polygon dApp and be like, hey, move to Akash, because the value is decentralization, people are like, yeah, it's cool, but, you know, we got it. We're busy building apps and we got to, you know, we have users, we got to update these things. How easy it is to deploy on Akash? It's not, right? Well, how can we get it, get there, right? So, so a lot of times our adoption is challenged, not because of our ability to build partnerships, that's easy, right? Because, you know, leaders of Solana, leaders of Polygon, all of them align in the same ethos that we build, uh, we build Akash on, but not necessarily the people in the ecosystem, because for them, it's about time. It's about cost. I mean, not not time, uh, cost in the sense of time, the, the, the cost of time, right? Not the actual deployment cost. Uh, for them, it's about like, hey, how easy it is to use Akash versus uh, Netlify. Now it's not. So the way we get to these ecosystems and grow our adoption is simplifying uh, how you can use Akash. And that's why a lot of work on, into new command line is going and new user interface that we're developing and a lot of these amazing critical features that enable us to uh, reestablish our dominance in these ecosystems, right? So, well, well, new partnerships. Well, new partnerships, we are always looking for uh, things that enhance Akash user, like storage, like load balancers, like databases, right? So, or even use cases that extend Akash to next level, like self-driving vehicles or crazy ideas like that. Uh, but end of the day, Whatever ecosystem, whatever partnership we choose, we have to establish dominance. Uh, so we have enough partnerships, to be honest with you, uh, that we need to focus on internally. We have Cosmos, we have Solana, and we have you know Polygon and Helium, all these amazing partnerships that we are very close with. We haven't honestly done enough work to uh, to leverage these relationships, and we're going to be focused on that quite a bit. Uh, and I don't want to be in a position of just announcing shell partnerships in, for, for the sake of it. Uh, a lot of people in crypto do that. I don't want to be one of those uh, projects. So meaningful stuff is what we're focused on. That makes sense. Makes a ton of sense, I think. And um, leading us to the fourth community question, uh, winner of that and winning question is from Crypto3Mac. Um, congratulations to you. Um, do you have any advice for fresh, uh, freshly graduated software engineers on how to build their career in distributed systems and cloud computing? 
so repeat the question how do you build distributed systems um no like do you have any advice for freshly graduated software engineers um on like how to build their career how to start the career in distributed systems and cloud computing um how do they how do they start their career how do they become successful as like yeah newly graduated oh wow well um don't take the easy way try to learn things the hard way i think um because when you try to learn things the hard way you understand more deeply from a first principle standpoint versus taking things for granted so a lot of times we we go and deploy things on on the cloud we assume and cloud makes everything so simple and we don't understand the fundamentals the foundation we and we build our foundations from that abstraction which tends to lead you in the way that they want you to go right so don't build on amazon don't build on google uh, try to run your own data center or try to run a server yourself because the knowledge that you gain from doing so is going to challenge your peers and increase and and of course it's higher risk right but with higher risk comes higher reward especially i think as a fresh graduate you have to optimize for working in jobs where you're at least 50% likely to fail versus succeed uh because you have nothing to lose uh but with that high risk comes high reward high growth optimize for growth is is what i would what i would advise i'm saying it's a great advice especially people that are young um and can take the risk without like a uh, kids and family um want to take the risk and um really go and learn it the hard way um absolutely i mean learn it the hard way right higher risk higher growth because if you take the easy route and like everyone else you know you're not going to compete with them right like sure you might have a cushion job and high pay but if you're getting if you're used to a a comfortable job at early days in your career that's going to be detrimental i think try to optimize for for a startup because you know startups you have higher risk of failure and usually in startups you have you're you're asked to do things that you don't know how to 90% of the time high high failure rate and that's what leads to high success yeah and i mean there there's not really like any way to lose because even if you lose uh you still learn a lot of stuff um and you learn like first principles which is very valuable i think um Anyway, so let's uh jump right into like the the first and last uh winning question from uh Chris Hofmann. Um congratulations to you Chris. Uh $1000 worth of AKT. Um and the question is right now you are able to undercut cloud prices by using oversupply data centers compute. Um but as Acash grows, you will need significantly more supply. How do you remain cheaper in the long run? Very good question. I don't think cost is going to be a core lower cost is going to be a core trigger for future I'm talking about Akash 10 years right there's a lot of supply right now that lower cost Akash would be the lowest cost for a very long time but in a scenario where you have all the servers on Akash say for example all the world servers the cost is not going to be the critical differentiator in a sense lower cost but right cost right the right price is what akash is going for not the not necessarily the low cost right so 
So by opening up the competition for letting different providers compete on the price gives you the best optimal price. That's our thesis, right? Now we think current cloud is overpriced. Um, and I, we think the car, the real price is much cheaper when we, when we take the excess compute. But on the long run, it's going to be the capabilities that's going to differentiate a cost, not, not cost. Uh, uh, well, because, you know, everybody will agree this is the right price, right? And I think all the providers will reduce their cost. They have to. Amazon has 60% margins. That's crazy, you know? Like, if you look at Snowflake, Snowflake is a, is a public company. 50% of the revenue, the profits go to Amazon. That's crazy. And where is that money going to, to Jeff Bezos' pockets, right? Like, it's nuts right now. So that has to be fixed, uh, no matter what. And once that's fixed, I think it's going to be uh, it's going to be capabilities that's that's going to make the differentiator. Awesome, well said. Um, so let's uh, make decentralized clouds a, a reality. Um, and I think there's nothing better there than uh, Acash, um, which also has very very attractive tokenomics. You can stake it. Make sure to check it out on on Staking Words as well on the website stakingwords.com slash earn slash Acash um, to understand like how you can start staking your your AKT tokens and uh, how you can participate in general. Um, and uh, Greg, I think it was a, a, a very, very insightful conversation. Um, everyone can be very grateful um, to, to hear you talking today. Um, it was uh, very great uh, from my side. And I think it was very great from all the people listening here. Um, thanks to everyone in the audience as well. Um, thanks, Greg. Um, do you have anything to say from your side? Maybe like how, how can people follow you in general? How can they stay in touch? Um, maybe uh, give another shout out to like get people to apply um, your hiring and so on. So best way to reach out to me is Twitter. I'm the most active network. Twitter.com, Greg Osuri is my handle. Uh, our biggest need right now is, is people. We're looking for amazing people, engineers, designers, uh, backend, frontend, all kinds of people. So akash.network slash careers is the page uh, to go. I highly recommend. And if you want to really know what's happening, uh, check out our roadmap and our blog, akash.network slash blog, akash.network slash roadmap. You'll have an idea as to what we're building. Um, I think if you show people the roadmap, uh, people get really excited. Um, and uh, you know, and the fact we also made incredible progress on the roadmap, we'll be updating as to how to track each feature very soon. I, today, I'll update it after this call. Um, so you'll have an idea as to you can track where we are with each features. Uh, so uh, so yeah, uh, Twitter, reach out to me. And uh, um, and if you're a marketer, by the way, reach out to me because we're starting a DAO, a marketing DAO. Uh, and in, in, in the interest of decentralization, I haven't really talked about it. We, we are actually expanding our sort of our um, reach uh, in terms of how we hire people to a DAO system because I believe DAOs are the future of work. Uh, so we are putting together a support DAO and a marketing DAO, uh, marketing slash community DAO. So if you're interested in participating, please reach out to me. Um, and uh, it's going to be a great year for Akash. I think it's, uh, it's a great time to get involved. Uh, sure, staking Akash token is great, but I think just participating in the future of the cloud, I think is, is very, very exciting. Um, so yeah, looking forward to, to catching up with you after this call. Awesome. Thanks, Greg. And um, to, to all the winners, um, 
let me just repeat live let and die aerosol marty og cryptos remake and chris hoffman uh make sure to uh send us a dm on twitter um and uh drop us a message and yeah like your your official twitter handle um follow up for the next next steps here um and yeah guys make sure to check out the previous episodes of stacking mondays as well stay tuned for the next ones uh we have uh great people we have had great people on the show and we will have even more greater people on the show as well um uh we did have greg Ozuri, which was a uh, uh, one of the best episodes i think um and uh guys make sure to subscribe to the youtube um follow us on twitter um stay up to date uh bookmarkstackingworlds.com check out acash.network uh, um check out the roadmap get involved uh convince your dao to um to switch to acash and um as always guys happy staking thank you marco <laughs> thanks <laughs>